The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, I have with me today my father, and I'm honored that he is here today. His name is David Armstrong. Um, drove all the way up from Conway, Arkansas. Um, if you don't know where that is, uh, Toad Suck Park. Anyone know about Toad Suck Park? No? Maybe yeah, I saw a few head nods. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's for real. I'm not making that up, by the way. Um, but uh, I am really honored to have you here, Dad. And um, we're going to attempt today to continue this series that we've uh, been going through over the past couple of weeks called Altars and Idols, where we've been exploring uh, the understanding that idols lie because they want you to worship them. And uh, we all have dealt with idols and may be currently dealing with idols that are lying to us, that are promising something that they simply cannot deliver on. And the idol tried to, to get us to believe that we're somehow missing out on something in life that uh, hasn't been provided in Christ. Uh, the idol would want to say, you need more money, you need that house, you need that uh, promotion, or you need that other person, or that relationship, or whatever the case may be, uh, maybe that substance, or maybe, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, the pornography, whatever it is that the enemy would whisper in your ear to say, you need this in order to find true joy, or true peace, or to truly be content and fulfilled, and uh, it's just a lie. It's not true at all, because there's no power that that idol has to fulfill on that promise, and that idol will say, hey, I'm, I'm the answer. And man, we know that the enemy uses those things to get a foothold in our lives and to ensnare us and to trap us. And so today we're going to talk about a message entitled Messy Grace. If you are a note taker, write that title down, Messy Grace, because we all need to grow in understanding both how to give and receive God's grace. And grace is messy. And that's no doubt because really messy places are all that there are. Well, that's right, Derek. And uh, listen, it's wonderful to be here. I appreciate so much this opportunity. I'm not a, a pastor or a preacher, so if I'm a little bit uncomfortable up here, I know he's got my back. I'm not too worried about that. But uh, there's a message to be told today. There's uh, through our story and what we will relate today, uh, there's quite a message to be to be told. And so I hope that you get something out of it. I was I was. Uh, just doing some personal reading and, and uh, Bible study and through my walk and looking at the different things that come on uh, the pages that I search. And one of them that stood out to me was this saying, it says, grace is messy. And some of you guys might be familiar with that. There's actually a whole article in a, uh, from a pastor uh, uh, in his perspective on that in his life growing up. But uh, so it's not a new statement, but it really impacted me and it really hit me hard because I had really uh, just come through the process of, of working through some messy grace in my life through situations that I had created uh, and the place that I had come to. And then I work in a ministry where everything's messy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to Renewal Ranch Ministry in Conway, Arkansas at a time in my life when I found uh, myself uh, desperate. I found myself destitute. I found myself confused uh, through the choices that I had made and where I had let them take me in, in, uh, in, in drug addiction and alcoholism. And uh, so I understand very much that message that messes Gracie. And I understand also how uncomfortable that can be to wade through and process through and walk through. 
Then today we're going to be talking about that, and, and, and this is a huge issue, and it was a huge issue for me, but it also, it also can, it can be an issue in other things besides the addiction. You know, it can be, uh, listen, I tell the guys in the ministry I'm in all the time because we're, we are shepherding these guys, we are mentoring these guys through a process of not only becoming sober, but developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, you know, this, this right here really just boils down to one thing, the message in here, and that, that's relationship. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's Absolutely. relationship. That's what it boils down to. Uh, God has, has spared no expense even to the life of his son for us to be able to learn how to work through this relationship. So grace is messy. Go ahead and settle that. Uh, God's given us a clear picture in his word of the price of of grace through Calvary, uh, through the old covenant process of sacrifices and the many examples of forgiveness and restoration throughout the scripture. That being said, why do we resist the process so much? Having received the grace of God in our own lives, why is it truly difficult to extend the grace in our relationships that has the ability to produce in us the type of freedom that Jesus spoke of? We must overcome the fear of the process in order to live the abundant life God promises us. We must learn to unpack the baggage that broken and hurting relationships weigh us down with and we must begin with ourselves. Yep, absolutely. Well, Dad, God's brought us both as men through a lot, and He's still working on us. So why don't you go ahead and share some of the things that maybe uh, you've gone through uh, to help people better understand how God's grace has personally kind of been messy in your life, but the results have been a beautiful thing. Amen, I will. Uh, I, some of you I've known and gotten to know a little bit uh, through the times that I've come up here, but most of you don't. And Derek doesn't mention a lot of things in the sermons about uh, about our relationship, but a little bit. So I'm just going to let you know that I uh, I was I was uh, uh, born in Kansas, raised in Oklahoma, and raised in a, in, in a home really that knew of the Lord, but didn't really set any examples uh, for me. My parents were were uh, a decent people. Uh, but they didn't set an example in my life for the Christian life to be lived. And uh, uh, family history on both sides of alcoholism and drug abuse and, and everything that goes along with it. And, and uh, so I find my, found myself at a very early age uh, uh, getting into those things. And uh, by the time I was in my early 20s and married to just recently married to Derek's mother, I was quite a mess. Uh, I, 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 with drugs and with alcohol and just life in general because I had no direction. But uh, thank God uh, when Derek was one year old, I was, I was saved. I was in a place of destitution in my life. And, and you know, the Bible tells us in, in our own heart lets us know that uh, we can't do this on our own. And I remember going to a revival with my, my brother-in-law and uh, just crying out to God. And uh, God drastically changed my life there and changed really the course of my whole family um, um, I know I've heard Derek speak of that before you know uh, because whenever God changed my heart he changed the direction of my life and through doing that I was I did raise my children in the church I uh, God God drastically saved my, my my life God drastically changed my heart which in turn added to the confusion later on in life when I fell and the shame that I took on and owned because of that failure because I uh, I lived for the Lord for a long time I raised my children 
in the church. Uh, uh, I was married to one woman for a long time. Uh, I thought that life would go on and I would never need a renewal ranch. I tell the gentlemen that I minister to all the time that, uh, uh, you know, wow, I never thought that I would be here as a participant. And I was. Uh, and, and so I got hurt on the job and uh, that lead, led into an abundance of pain medication that l led into initially deceiving uh, first to myself right we deceive ourselves before we deceive anybody else and yeah. I deceived myself in, uh, in, in, in that I needed these things and then I began to deceive uh, those that I loved and through that process of deception it just opened up a whole other world of, uh, of hurt and uh, uh, lies in my life that led to the end of a 28 year marriage and, and uh, the respect of my children and uh, those that I knew in the community because everybody I worked with and Everywhere I went, I was known as a Christian man, right? Mm -hmm. I'll never forget the uh, one time uh, Derek was actually a pastor, just started. Hadn't been a pastor long at a church down the road, and uh, I was working at a shop, supervisor in a particular part of that plant, and uh, they threw a random drug test on me, mm -hmm. and I walked out because <laughs> I couldn't pass it. And I had two guys in that shop that I was the boss of that he was their pastor, right? And so the shame from that, uh, just was heavy on me, and I ran from that for a long time, and I just continued to let the enemy uh, beat me up with that. Uh, so really, that was the idol in my life, yeah. and that became the idol in my life, and what it did was it, it damaged every relationship that I ever knew. And I needed God's grace tremendously and uh, had known it, but the shame that I lived in my life prevented me from reaching out for it um, God's grace is amazing and it is wonderful but we have to search it right we have to uh, receive it we have to confess our sins we have to do those things to initiate that two-way street in that relationship that God wants us in because this is all about relationships and you will find that grace is in every relationship if God's first that's right Absolutely. So, you know, what is grace? It's unmerited favor, you know, but it's so much more than that. It's really that driving force that allows us to love. It allows us to be loved. It allows us to forgive. It allows us to be forgiven. And it is the great equalizer that inhibits sanctification in our lives. And it's such a powerful thing. It is. You know, he, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Uh, Paul, in referring to his own struggles, was answered by God in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I, what I love about God, the more that I learn of his word, and the more that I'm involved in it, is it, it it's, it's the opposite of what we think. Yep. Right? It's, in, it's in my weaknesses that I made strong. And it's in my weaknesses of reaching out to God through my struggles that his strength came to me and uh, allowed me to uh, look to him for the answers in my life. Yep. God's grace, it meets us right where we're at. And a lot of times that's in messy places. God's grace definitely meets us in messy places. And um, this grace is not one-sided either. So I don't want you to get the 
misunderstanding that uh, my father sharing just his side of this testimony. I want to share with you my side as well. My dad and I had a great relationship growing up um, as uh, when I was a kid. He was my t-ball coach, you know, or my, play, uh, my little league coach, and he was there. Matter of fact, he was adamant about being at every practice, every game. And uh, then when I was 12 years old, um, my dad had to uh, go off and work. He was a pipe fitter by trade, and he traveled around for a number of years. And he would come back occasionally to be able to spend a few weeks with us, but he would go pretty far away. And we would, you know, talk to him on the phone and things like that. And so me being the kid that used to come home and be able to throw a baseball with my dad or, you know, shoot a basketball or something every day. And I would wait for him just about every day when he got home. Uh, and he had just gotten out, you know, of the car from being in a hot shop with long sleeves on and, you know, coveralls under a welding hood, welding all day. And he would take time, you know, without fail, uh, just to throw a ball around or, or something like that. And I was there every day, and then all of a sudden, he wasn't there, you know? And it threw my world for a loop, and I began to get very angry with my dad. And uh, as a young kid, and this was before anything about the prescription drug abuse or any, any of that stuff was even relevant, uh, it was just dad was gone, and I was mad, and I wanted to be mad at somebody, so I chose to be mad at him. It even got to the point to where when he would call uh, to the house as a 12, 13-year-old boy, I wouldn't want to talk to him on the phone because I wanted to hurt the person that was hurting me. And I think often we want to do that. I think we want to hurt people who hurt us. It's a defense mechanism. And that was the way that I selfishly chose to deal with my relationship with my dad. And that continued on. Um, and then when I was an adult, I was already married in ministry. Um, I remember my dad taking me to a Chinese restaurant, sit me down and tell me what was going on in his life and how he had been struggling with all this stuff. And it had all kind of come out. And so it had to be talked about, it had to be dealt with. My dad wanted me to hear it from his mouth. So he took me out to lunch and we sat down and he talked to me about it. And honestly, at that time in my life, I was still holding on to that anger from when I was a child to the point where I didn't feel anything. I didn't break down and cry in that moment. I didn't feel some great sense of sadness. I honestly didn't feel anything because I was so hard in my heart towards my dad. Even though we would talk and I had a relationship with him, I, uh, I, just, I, I honestly at that moment was just very calloused over. And I had allowed myself to get to that place. And so as time went on, our conversations were fewer and fewer as dad's uh, issues kind of became more and more apparent, more obvious, the things he was dealing with. And um, I just uh, self-righteously didn't want to talk to him anymore because I thought it was something I, I needed to do. And plus, it was still that wall from that little kid, you know, that uh, I had not allowed God to come and really heal my heart towards that. And I had not received that uh, forgiveness. I hadn't given that forgiveness. I'd been holding on to it. And it was like drinking poison, hoping somebody else gets sick. It just doesn't work, folks. But that's the lie that the enemy wants to whisper in your ear to hold on to that junk. And to be angry because of what someone else did or what they didn't do, of how they disappointed you. And uh, <clears throat> I'll never forget, I was living here in Sheboygan Falls, and I was doing the dishes one day, and my dad and I had spoken for about 10 minutes, maybe every three months, and that was about it. And it was more out of obligation on my end, just to answer the phone call, because there were plenty of times where I didn't answer the phone call. But... Um, uh, I knew the sin dad was in. I, I knew it was getting ugly, and he just occasionally would talk to him. And God put it on my heart to give him a phone call. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to call my dad. I'm doing dishes, you know. I'll never forget. I was right there at the sink doing dishes. And, uh, and uh, God put it on my heart, dropped it on my heart heavy. It was loud. It was clear. 
And I reached out and uh, gave Dad a phone call, and we talked on the phone. It was one of the best conversations we'd had in a long time. We didn't talk about anything. We didn't handle any business. It was just a phone call, just a simple conversation. And I enjoyed that. My wife told me she was really proud of me, you know, and uh, she said, I'm really proud of you. You actually, you know, called your dad. And, and uh, then we, I called him again, and I called him again, and, and then began to have this relationship where we were talking on the phone about once every other week or so. And we were actually having decent conversations at that point. And uh, then dad calls me one day, and he tells me, he said, I'm going to go to Renewal Ranch, and he explained to me what that was, and he told me that this was going to be the last time that we would be able to talk for six months, because at Renewal Ranch, there's a six-month kind of just real focused period, right, where you can't, you know, talk to family or however that works, and uh, where they really just take them through the scriptures, and they really just spend a lot of focused time on trying to, you know, work through that program, and and a lot of men have found a lot of freedom there, and dad said, I'm going to be focused on this for six months. I can't make any phone calls, so I'm just letting you know this is the deal. Well, about three or four months goes by, and my phone rings, and it's a number I didn't recognize, so I called it back, and it was my dad, and what do you think I thought? I thought, oh no, he's, he's blown it. He's out of the program. He got, he got kicked out. He, he messed up. And that wasn't the case at all. As a matter of fact, they had given my dad a cell phone because they had entrusted him to be over a group of men that, uh, because they uh, don't have a lot of older guys out there. I mean, no, no offense. He just had a birthday and everything. Um, I can't, I can't, comp- I can't pick on him too much about, you know, being the age that he is, uh, because he has a lot more hair than I have. So, uh, <clears throat> dad got the hair gene. Um, I, I, that skipped me. I, but anyways, um, I thought that, you know, I was getting a phone call that was just going to be another disappointment. And it was going to just be one of those things where I had finally trusted I had finally put my heart out there, and I was going to be let down again, and it was the opposite. And uh, when I got off the phone, I told my wife, I said, you don't believe what's uh, going on with Dad. And they actually started giving him more responsibility there. Eventually, he was over uh, a whole cabin of men in their Phase 1 program, and then eventually got a promotion out there. Where uh, for How long have you been doing Phase 2? So for the past two years, he's been in charge of the phase two program, which is kind of the reintegration back into society away from the safety of the ranch. That's that part of the program where there's, uh, there's an apartment uh, thing there with the dad. He oversees all of those. And the men that are there, they have jobs and a lot more freedoms and liberties and things like that to help them to kind of walk out this freedom that they found in Christ and uh, stay away from the things they need to stay away from. And uh, so that's what dad does now. I mean, that's his, he, he, he you know, I think that that's... Uh, a really cool thing, but but um, as as great as that is, and as grateful that I am that my father found freedom from those things and is able to now help other men do the same and help families to heal, much like God has done in our family. I'm grateful for that, but there was still something that had to be done in my heart because my sin wasn't okay and Dad's sin was bad, right? Sin is sin, and it was, it was all the way around a work of the enemy that I had allowed in my heart that I had held on to because unforgiveness is wicked, man. It's easy to point fingers and to say, oh, that person, look at their issue, look at their thing. They need to be free from that thing because that's such a terrible you know, uh, challenge to have and, and your, for your family to go through. It's very easy to point fingers at that and ignore your own sin in the process. 
Um, but God put me face to face with my own sin, my own ugliness. And it was ugly. And I didn't realize how ugly it was. There was a sweet lady in this church that confronted me on it um, one time. Uh, when I first came here, I hadn't even been here maybe a year, and I was over at her house, and she told me, she said, Pastor, she said, you really need to forgive your dad. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. I know all about forgiveness. I preach this and teach this, and, and here you're calling me out. You know. But she was absolutely right. And I told her, I said, I know. I said, I know you're right. There's another young lady in this church that has been praying for me and my dad for years, and uh, she regularly would let me know just occasionally, just when I needed to hear it, when I was still entertaining that darkness, and she would come and she would say, Pastor, I want you to know I'm praying for you and your dad. I'm praying for you and your dad. And uh, it was just a few years ago that God began that healing process, and now I can honestly and genuinely say that I have the best relationship with my father that I've had, it, it, uh, not just as his son, because I still respect him as my father, and I'm still a little afraid of him too. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but at the same time, um, just as peers, as men who both have struggles, both who have you know, things in their life that the enemy wants to distract us with, idols that he puts in front of us, and we're able to talk about those things openly. I've never had, I've never had a more transparent relationship with my father than at any point in my life than I have now, where we openly, openly talk about anything. Nothing is off limits. And I so appreciate my father being that vulnerable with me because dads don't want to do that with their kids. Dads want to say, look how strong I am. I don't want you to see my weaknesses. And my dad's like, here it goes. I got nothing you know, here to hide. And I love that. Uh, and, and that's helped me a great deal to be able to find a lot of healing from things that I held on to in my life. And, and so this is not a message to say that, oh, here, look at Derek and David, and, and your life is going to work out that way too. That's not the point here. Because you may do all of the things that we've done. We're not trying to present some formula here. We're just trying to say that you have a responsibility to pursue God and to give the same grace that you were given, and it's going to be messy. We all have that responsibility. If the other person responds and reciprocates that, wonderful. Praise God for that, that you were able to enjoy that restoration of that relationship here on earth. But maybe you give all of the love and all the forgiveness, and maybe they still stay hard. Maybe they still stay in their sin. You still have to navigate that relationship with love, even if you don't have that story like we have, because we have this idea that grace is like a Hallmark movie. And I know you guys have been watching Hallmark Channel lately. I know you've been like DVRing it, and you've like been, you know, the Kleenexes are flying off the shelves at the, at the store. Everybody's been watching those movies. It's the holidays, and all those movies are on. And we think that's how our life is supposed to go. And if we're not careful, we'll get the impression that if we follow God, everything in our life will work out the way we want it to. And that's a lie. If you follow God, it will not work out the way you want it to because there's sacrifice involved. There is suffering involved in being a Christ follower. Jesus said, you got to count the cost. So the world may hate you. And he said, and Jesus said, it's going to be my fault. So there's a cost to following Jesus. But there, the reward is so much greater. Amen. And the reward is not necessarily always here in this lifetime. 
You know, the reward is, is definitely knowing that I can be at peace, knowing I'm, I'm right with God because of Jesus, not because of me, not because I'm so great, not because I'm special, not because I'm a superstar, <coughs> but because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not because of me, but rather it's in spite of me. It's by grace you were saved through faith, not of yourself, so you could boast about it. And when we recognize that, we can both freely receive and give grace. And that's my side of that story. Amen. I- you know, I, I was the elephant in the room for a long time, right? I mean, it's not like I didn't show up. I would show up for Christmas, Thanksgiving, different things like that. But I was, you know, always looking at the clock, wanting to eat, wanting to get on out of there because I knew, you know, my condition and my problem. And what I, what I more than anything, hope that if anybody uh, receives uh, anything from this message today and, and what we're talking about, about grace, it's the fact that you need to just do it, right? We're all jacked up. We all got relationships in our life that need work. We all got relationships in our life that aren't right uh, on some level, either from you giving or you receiving either one. Uh, and, and God came so that we could have this life and have it abundantly, right? Uh, and it has to start with you. Any time that you uh, have, I, you know, people used to tell me this all the time. I was like, I talked to somebody about somebody uh, that I was having difficulties with. And they's like, well, you know, you need to pray for him. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't even like him. I <laughs> want to pray for him. But I found out that by doing that, that opened up a whole new world mm-hmm. uh, in my life because I was putting that uh, before the Lord and laying it out there like that. So... A lot of the obstacles in my life for receiving the grace was at first because I wasn't walking in his word. Um, Philippians 4 and 10 says, those things you've both learned and received and seen and heard in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. God wants us to be a participant in his word. He wants us to be a participant in grace. It's in a one-way street with God any more than it is with uh, relationships we have here on this earth. Excuse me. And so if you want to receive that grace in your life and be able to extend it to somebody else, you have to be able to receive that grace from God. And there are a lot of things that will stop you from doing this, you know, confessing your sins. My goodness. You know, I love the word of God and what it provides for us. First John 1 and 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a certain place that we can keep ourselves uh, in in a certain spot and position with God. When we keep ourselves in that, it allows us to work out these other relationships that we have because uh, we are all jacked up. Romans 6.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't a single one of us in here that cannot uh, make our relationships better. All the, that I wanted to accomplish today with this was just be real. Yeah. Just be real and let you know that that these relationships are real. So Mm -hmm. uh, the obstacles are are without a doubt fear, fear of the unknown. Can I do this? Can I face my problems? What if I fail again? Uh, You know, fear of rejection. Yep. Uh, You know, as a father, uh, going through this process, I would have much rather, and I love you, wouldn't want it to happen to you, but I would have much rather it been the other way around Mm -hmm. because I knew that role. I didn't know this role. I didn't know how to do that, you know, but God does. 
Amen. And it came through my confession and my relationship with him. I think the point that I'm trying to make is when we get our relationship with God right and we truly, truly work on that relationship, it's just an outflow to the other relationships that we have. And it's a messy process, man. It, it was messy for me. I didn't want to... My, my pride and my humanness didn't want to admit to my children. My pride and my humanness did not want to be that guy. I was dad, right? Mm, you know? That was me. And I was a manly man, right? Yes, very okay. much so. <laughs> but there are certain things in my life that I didn't want to come across as being weak, and, and, and that did. But, you know, I love how the Word of God speaks to us and that it's in our weakness that we're made strong. That's right. You know, there's nothing good in me, yeah. but there's everything that's good in Him. And so I take what I receive from His Word, and I walk in that, and through that process, God can do wonderful things in our life. That's right. There's obstacles definitely to receiving grace, but there's also obstacles to giving grace. And I think that whether you're on the receiving end or whether you're on the giving end of the grace of God, the enemy wants to try to whisper in your ear all sorts of lies. And I think that one of the things that he uh, whispers in our ears is that, you know, uh, the other person doesn't deserve it. You know, they've hurt me too bad. It's too fresh, right? And we make all these excuses to why we don't want to be dispensers of grace. And I think oftentimes we forget the forgiveness that was given to us. Matthew 6 and 14, Jesus said that to forgive and you shall be given. And then he says again in Matthew 7 and 1 to not judge because you're going to be judged by that same measure. And then later on in Matthew 7, Jesus says, why are you going to your brother who has a speck in his eye and trying to help him get that speck out of his eye when you have a log, you have a plank in your own eye? Now, Jesus doesn't say to abandon the idea of trying to help your brother. He says, if you're going to help him, first you need to deal with the, the plank in your own eye, and then you will better see to be able to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. And I think that the reason Jesus gave us that strategy and that tactic is because he knew it would change the positioning of our heart and the attitude that we have towards the person that we want to help towards the person that we love and care about. Because if I am trying to take a speck out of someone's eye and I've got this big, huge plank right here, I am so stinking judgmental at that point. I am just prideful. I'm self-righteous at that point, And I'm looking at someone else's issue, refusing to deal with mine. But when I take my issue to the cross, when I take it to Jesus and I confess my sin, as dad was talking about earlier, and as I began to allow the goodness and the grace of God to resonate and become real in my life, not just a theory, not just something I heard in Sunday school, not just something I read about or heard someone talk about once, but when I actually let it become real in my life, then it begins to clear my vision up. And now I see people differently. Now, instead of me looking and trying to weigh the scales of justice and tip them in my favor by, well, at least I haven't done, you know, some of the things that that person did. At least I've been in church. At least I've done this. At least I've volunteered my time. At least I, and we begin to get so puffed up and so self-righteous. And we try to tip the scales in our favor. F folks, we can't tip the scales in our favor when it comes to our sin. It's not like there's a sin calculator that God has. And he's keeping up with all of... It's not like Santa Claus. We have this poor image of God. 
And we have this karma-based mentality that we think that if we've done enough bad, we got to do a bunch of good to repay all the bad that we've done. That's not grace. That's us trying to earn our own forgiveness. It's us trying to earn a gift, and you can't earn a gift. If you try to earn a gift, it ceases to be a gift anymore. If you give your kid a bike for Christmas, and then you tell your kid now, get out there and start shoveling snow because you got to pay for this thing, that's not a gift at all. They're trying to earn something. They're trying to earn a wage, and the Bible does say we earned a wage. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if the wages of sin is death, that's not the end of that verse, thank God. He says, but the gift of God is righteousness through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he has made us righteous. He has, not because of what we've done, but rather in spite of what we've done. That's why we're clean, forgiven, restored, made whole because of Jesus. And when we remember that, and that truly makes us be in this place of awe and gratefulness, then we can very easily and much more quickly and more authentically dispense grace and give grace to other people because we recognize the weight of our own sin. But pride will also be an obstacle. Pride gets in the way, and we think maybe they should be the ones to initiate this deal. They should be the ones to start this. You know, where two people are kind of sitting there with their arms folded waiting for someone to say, I'm sorry first. I mean, nobody in here. I'm talking about people down the street. You know, people are, you know, oh, I'm not going to say anything to my wife. She has to say, I'm sorry first. Or I'm not going to say anything to, to, to my boss or my coworker or my neighbor. They need to speak up first. And then you have this Hatfield-McCoy thing going on for years and years, and it's foolish. Where you've got all this anger, all this built-up animosity, all this unforgiveness, all this bitterness that is set up in your heart, and it's just driven by pride. But James 4 and 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And how do we really know what humility is? I, I believe God gave me a great definition for humility, that it's us just being willing to acknowledge our limitations. Us being willing to acknowledge our limitations, that there are some things I just can't do. There's some things I'm not good at, you know? Man, you know, I, I bring that around. You know, I, I'm fortunate to work in a ministry where, where people come in and they say, I'm broken, Right? I'm, it's not a bunch of, you know, no offense, but it's not a bunch of church folks I'm sitting in front of. These are people who have come in and already made a statement and said, I know I'm jacked up. I know I have this problem. Help me. Yeah. And that's all God wants out of us is for us to acknowledge the things that we need for him to do. Acknowledge that we need his direction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to scheme and work this out on your own. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on you. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's just being real. That's right. That's right. And we all have to come to that place. Dad, you've uh, said something that I've used here a lot uh, in my sermons. And if you ever wonder where I got it from, those of you who are regulars here, you've heard me say this a number of times. I say that we have to see ourselves as we truly are. And I ripped that straight off, plagiarized. Uh, from a dad. Is it really plagiarism if it's your parents? I don't know. No. That's a debate for another day. But, uh, but he said that, he, he, and he told me that. He said, Derek, I had to see myself as I truly was. And he says that to those men out there not at the a, ranch. Not and, as I wanted to be. Yeah. Not as, not as, I, as, as I thought of myself. Uh, not as even my past behavior indicated. But as I really was, you know, in here. The uh, Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And our own righteousness is as filthy rags. That's right. And when I, when I came to that point, 
then I saw God for who he was. And through working in that relationship, it brought me to a place of where I could work through the messiness of grace. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I love that scripture, and I'm quoting it not knowing and saying where it's at, but we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And certainly that doesn't mean going to heaven. That means work out through the mess of it. Yeah. You know, work out through the mess of it. What, your, what, what relationships in your life are messy that you need to work that out with? God has given us the grace to do that That's and right. to walk in that. And grace is messy, but there isn't anything messy about the results. I mean, it's a beautiful thing when you see the end result, the journey to go. Have you ever done this where God has done something in your life and you kind of get the vantage point of turning around and going, whoa, look at that goofy path. But I see how God was in that. God was there and God hadn't left me there and he, hadn't, he was with me through that situation. Even though during those times when we were on that crazy path and we were in the middle of that mess, we might have been going, God, where are you? God, are you even around? Or maybe not even thinking about God because we may have been angry at God because our life wasn't going the way we wanted to. Maybe things weren't happening the way that we were told they would if we would just do this and this and this. And then all of a sudden we're angry and mad and maybe even disappointed at God. But yet you look back after God brings you through those seasons of darkness and those seasons of doubt and those seasons of maybe even idol worship. And you look back and you go, wow, God never left me. I thought he did, but he was there the whole time. But there isn't anything messy about those results. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, towards the back of the Bible there, we'll go over to 1 Peter 5. I want to read this scripture um, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. Page 1,017. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's read verse 10 here. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Scripture says that the God of all grace, who has called you, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. It's in Christ where we find our strength. Amen, church? Amen. And it truly is that grace that brings about the results in our lives because this process does make us stronger in Christ. Amen. I, I, read, a, I read a quote just this morning when I was uh, looking at a few things, and I loved it. It says, life is a series of tiny little miracles. Notice them. Amen. Amen. Notice them. Uh, God, is, God will work those things out in your life. And, and the process of this messy grace and the restoration that is the end of it is a beautiful thing. Uh, the results of, of grace are, are, are God's restoration in our life. It is God's freedom. Uh, you know, John 10 and 10, the, what the enemy, the enemy, the thief came but still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly mm -hmm. um, and confidence finally, you know. God's word will not return to him void, uh, but it will accomplish that which he pleases and, and it will give the desired effect. But we have to take ownership of that word. We have to live that word, and that word is grace from, from start to finish. We have to live that word in our life uh, for it to... Uh, give us the results that we so desperately need because grace is messy uh, I can tell you today that I would never wish 
the process that I went through upon anybody. But I wouldn't trade the results of it for anything. Right? I think God can say the same thing. Huh? Mm -hmm. I don't think Jesus really physically wanted to go to the cross. Right. But he said he wouldn't trade it for anything. And so the relationships in your life today that are messy, uh, work those out. You know, work those out. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. Uh, I'm the, the altars and the idols message that, that Derek has been on that I've been following at my house through you guys' website and stuff. And, and this particular message in it is so vital and so important because we make idols in our life that prevent our relationships from going forward. We make idols in our life, and I certainly did, that prevented my relationship with God from prospering. And in doing that, it damaged the most uh, important earthly relationships that I had with my family and with my loved ones. So I know that today in here, guys, a lot of you might not have went to the extremes that I went to, and I just told a part of the story. I mean, it's, there's some ugly things in there, right? Uh, because a lot of this can be ugly. Uh, I just told you a portion of it, but I know today that there's a lot of people in here that need that needed to hear that relationships in our life can be so much better. And they need to be encouraged to work on those relationships and make those relationships what they can be. And I encourage you to do that. And the only way you're going to do that is by being real, is by being real. I made that statement a few minutes ago. That's what I love about the ministry that I'm in is that we all start out saying, hey, I messed up, you know. They don't have to pull it out of them. They don't yeah. have to drag it out of them. Mm -hmm. They come in knowing that. That's our number one requirement. Because it's a, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this is an epidemic. And we turn way more people away than we, than we allow in because we don't have the space. So we go through a vetting process. And the number one requirement is, is you have to want it. Yeah. Number one requirement is you have to want it. That's all God wants. That's right. Huh? That's all he wants from you. That's, that's his number one requirement out of you for whatever you desire in your life, for whatever you need in your relationship going forward, that one thing that God requires is that you want it. Yep, that's right. Well, God's done a big work in both me and my dad's hearts, and he's continuing to develop that. And God used situations in our lives that the enemy meant for destruction, that he meant for absolute you know, division and uh, probably, uh, you know, uh, discouragement and all sorts of things that would affect so many different things. But I, the beauty of this is that the cycle that my dad grew up in with his father and that my grandfather grew up in, that cycle is broken. Amen. That cycle is no more. And so God wants those cycles, those patterns of unhealthy behavior, whether it may be addiction, whether it may be a pattern of lying, maybe a pattern of deceit, maybe a pattern of financial mismanagement, maybe a pattern of divorce, maybe a pattern of substance abuse, whatever the case may be, God wants that broken in your life. Mm -hmm. And he wants to restore the things that the enemy has tried to steal from you, the things that he has said are uh, things that, 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 that you cannot have. God wants you to have hope today. And I want you to have hope that God is for you and that he's working on your behalf when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. And when you live according to Matthew 6, 33, that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and all these other things will be taken care of. It's an overflow. Everything else, everything else, guys, is the overflow of seeking God first. And it's not seeking God first in the sense of I did a 10-minute devotion and then I go and I do the rest of my day the way I want. It's not just doing that so I can check God off the list. That's not seeking God first. That may be the first thing you do in the day, but that's not seeking God first. It means he's at the center. You know, something at the center affects everything else. And I believe God, when he's at the center, out of the overflow, we begin to live in a way that truly does bring him glory. Nothing is too difficult for God. And if today you're struggling in relationships, or maybe if today you're struggling with shame, there is forgiveness for you, and there is hope. If you think you've gone too far, I hope that today maybe you've heard that you haven't. Maybe God saw fit that today you would be here to hear these two men, a father and son, share a message for a specific purpose about how grace is not just a Hallmark movie, but rather it's, it's a messy process. And don't let fear of the mess keep you from stepping out in faith to begin to heal, to begin to forgive, to begin to restore or to break free from whatever it is that the enemy would want to have a foothold in your life. Because church, his grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. And we need to believe that and live in the reality of that. Man, I want you to come here in this church and hear messages like this to be stirred to action, not just to have good notes, not just to hear some feel-good things or some challenging things or some convicting things. I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to do it because God's way is better than our way. It just is. And I hope that the things you're hearing here and the things you're learning and the things maybe you're being inspired to dive further in your relationship with God to do, my hope and my prayer is that you're actually putting those things into practice because we're not just here giving you a bunch of fortune cookie answers. If that's all we're doing, then we just need to stay at the house. We're trying to talk about living for God and and encourage one another and support one another and challenge one another and sharpen one another and be there for one another. That's why Christ-centered community is so important. That's why being a part of a body of believers is important because you weren't created to do this by yourself. The first thing that God said wasn't good was that he was alone. (laughs) God said everything else is good and then he creates man and the first thing he says isn't good is that he was alone. The enemy would love to isolate you. The enemy would love to make you feel like you're alone. The enemy would love to make you feel like you've gone too far, you've messed up too much. But let me tell you, I hope that today hope was stirred in you. And that that hope leads to a deeper trust and commitment in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe at the very least, it may have encouraged you. Even if maybe those who you would desire to reconcile with, maybe they're not even alive anymore. But it's still about you doing business with God in your heart. Even if you can't physically talk to someone, you still have to find that place of saying, God, I need to give this to you because in light of what you've given to me, Lord, I can't hold on to this anymore. It's like drinking poison and hoping somebody else gets sick. It just doesn't work. And I pray that today that the message of grace has become more real to you than it ever has before because I know that through this process with my dad, it's become more real to me than it ever has before. And I pray that it does for you and that you can put it into practice. Amen? So, Father, I just thank you for this day. And I would just ask that you would move in hearts and lives. 
and that you would do what only you can do, what no message could do, but what only you, your Holy Spirit working in the hearts and lives of people, breaking chains, renewing minds to fall in line with your word, with your scripture. Only you can do that. And so we just trust you, Lord, because we know you're moving. We know you're moving in hearts and lives right now in this very moment. And it may have stirred some emotion in this place today. And I pray that it has. But I pray that all of that stirring and all that revealing, that it's not just left here, but Lord, that it turns into action, that it turns into people stepping out in courage and in faith to maybe make a phone call, to maybe write a letter, to maybe say some prayers, to talk to God, to maybe set up a meeting, to maybe sit down with somebody. Whatever the case may be, Lord, help us to be good receivers and givers of grace. And if there are those here that are struggling and hiding things, I pray, Father, that you help them to find that place of brokenness and just being real, being transparent and saying, I need help. Because, Lord, you do give grace to the humble. And I pray you help us to trust that and know that you are good and that we don't have to carry around shame, but that we can know that we are forgiven and we are free and that we are, Lord, your kids and you love us. Help us see that as reality. I pray that you change us, Lord, in a way that brings you glory and points other people to the goodness of our God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.